This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the new Blue Review. And we have, I'm happy to say, on the line, Brett McDougall from the Johannesburg Heritage Foundation talking to us about architecture today. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us on High FM. Thanks, Benji. Great to be here. Really appreciate your time. Now, Brett, for people who might not know, maybe just start off by giving us a sense of what is the Johannesburg Heritage Foundation all about? So the Johannesburg Heritage Foundation was founded as the Parktown Westcliff Heritage Trust. Um, and the aim of the organization is to research um, and protect Johannesburg's built heritage. It changed its name to Joburg Heritage Foundation in 2012 in recognition of um, a larger role that it was playing in Joburg. And it runs a very active tour program. It's got a great research center. Um, and there are many aspects of the organization, including protection of our historic graveyards, protection of certain natural heritage treasures um, that are conducted too. Now, talk to us about the state of heritage in Johannesburg, because as a city, just sort of classically this mining camp, and uh, it was all about the money and the gold rush. That's the kind of the the history of the place. And it's heritage and looking after architectural buildings and styles hasn't really been a, a top priority. So why do you think it's important as Johannesburgers that maybe we, we rethink this position as, as citizens of the city? So to answer your question, um, is it a top priority? The answer is definitely no. Um, and no from a number of fronts. So from uh, from a provincial heritage resources authority, you know, they, they are tasked with the protection um, of the, the province's heritage. Um, they are under-resourced and the outcomes that they produce are really uneven. From a Joburg perspective, you've got Eric Itzkin who heads up the city's heritage department and Eric does an amazing job but he's virtually a one-man show, and again, he's under-resourced um, and, and not properly supported uh, by the city's administration. So it's, it's really fallen um, upon, uh, you know, lobby groups like the Joburg Heritage Foundation uh, to to perform a, a more active role. But of course, you know, we are reliant on on volunteers and and member donations, um, and so um, you know, our scope um, is is limited by that fact. And I mean, to answer your question then, you know, why should we be rethinking this? Well, first of all, I, I think that we all want to live in an interesting and a beautiful place. And there's no doubt that, that heritage and architecture add interest to our neighborhoods and, and they make our neighborhoods livable. Um, but beyond that too, there've been a couple of important studies that link economic development factors to the preservation of heritage. And there's no doubt that heritage buildings require more manual intensive preservation techniques than, than new buildings do. So if we were to be a little bit more broad-minded and invest in uh, our built heritage, there's no doubt that we could create jobs, we could grow our economies, and we could also grow our tourism sector, which is really needed in Johannesburg. Now, if I think about uh, cities around the world in, in Paris, you maybe think of the Eiffel Tower and the Champs-Élysées and uh, in, in New York, the certain kind of Art Deco or, or uh, what, what maybe looks like downtown New York, pa uh, Paris we've already mentioned, but I don't know, Venice. You, you, you get a sense of the city 
from the style immediately of, of the buildings. People will be able to identify certain buildings, identify places that they like. In Johannesburg, what is that style? What can we say that is that is particularly unique about Johannesburg? Or is there something particularly unique or is it just a, a cacophony of, of different uh, architectural uh, perspectives? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So, you know, Claude Chipkin, the, the wonderful Joburg author who passed on um, quite recently, um, wrote about Johannesburg style and he described it as eclectic um, because there's so little uniformity within within the architecture of the city. And, you know, part of that also to, relates to the fact that the city was very poorly planned and, and it was driven by private um, investment interests um, uh, as opposed to city interests that created planned neighborhoods. But, but beyond, beyond that eclecticism, beyond that cacophony as you describe it, there are very particular Joburg markers in, in architectural style. So, so first of all, the, the 1930s were the boom period in Johannesburg. So you, you find a huge amount of art deco architecture in the city center and in the suburbs that extend um, as far as, as Bramley um, and West Dean and um, into Kensington and to the southern suburbs. So um, the, the, the core of the city is still primarily art deco, although that character um, has been significantly eroded over a period of time. But the art deco that you, do, that you see is not, a, is not a flamboyant tropical deco like you see in Durban, um, and it's also not a, a, a well-mannered deco that you see in, in Cape Town. It's, um, it, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a gritty, hard-edged deco influenced by, by what architects saw in New York and, and influences that came from London um, and the continent. Um, and there are also huge German influences um, on the architecture of, of Johannesburg. Um, and then beyond that, we've got some, some great towers that, that were built in the 1960s, 70s, and into the 80s. And of course, if you think about the building boom that has happened in the last 10 to 15 years in Santon, that has created a very particular architectural language in the, in the Santon area, which to a large extent is quite cohesive. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point that you make about Sanson because, you know, in, in perhaps in the last 20 years, it has started to develop somewhat of a distinctive skyline almost. You know, when you when you first go to Sanson, say, 10 or 20 years ago, it was just the fancy place that wasn't the center of Joburg when there was a lot of commerce. But if you sort of look out onto the horizon these days and you think about some of the 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 big corporates that have started building, you think about Sassol's building, which is kind of very oddly shaped, and uh, the Discovery building, which seems to sort of move along with you as you drive past it, and some of the law firms. There actually is a kind of interesting style there uh, that that does mark Santon as being its own little architectural block within the Joburg landscape. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And in fact, you know, one of the things that, that Sean and I wrote about um, in, in RSA 365 is that, you know, architecture is a product of technology and culture. You know, technology makes it possible, but, but culture defines what is desirable. And if you look at our cultural references today, it's very much the star architecture that you see in Shanghai and in Dubai, you know, so it's that larger than life, eccentric shape um, architecture that you do see in Santon. Um, and it's driven by technology in that it's driven by software nowadays, so very 
you know, very little architecture happens outside of a outside of a computer uh, nowadays, and and that has pushed the limits of what is possible in terms of shape and form. And then, of course, if you look at the corporates in Santon, they they want to be seen. You know, the, those buildings are prestige addresses. They they're not quite polite little buildings. They they shout, <laughs> and and that's very much part of that language. We're talking to Brett McDougall today. He is the author of RSA 365, 365 Drawings of South African Architecture and a long-time activist for the Joburg Heritage Foundation. I'm Benji Schulman, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Schulman. Talking today to Brett McDougall from the Joburg Heritage Foundation and author of RSA 365, 365 Drawings of South African Architecture. Now, Brett, tell us a little bit about the book. What kind of inspired it, just to give people a sense of the book, it's sort of almost pencil-style drawings of, of, of different buildings in Johannesburg, I'm assuming in, in South Africa, uh, uh, as in, in the broader sense uh, as well. Uh, but but what... Uh, what inspired you to do a book such as this? Um, so the inspiration really came from um, my friend and colleague and collaborator, Sean Gaylard, and, and he'd been drawing architectural drawings uh, for a number of years. Um, and in fact, he's got a really uh, wonderful uh, company called Blank Inc. Um, that sells um, architectural guides to cities um, and individual architectural drawings. And... Before lockdown, he and I were speaking about the possibility of, of perhaps doing something a little bit more ambitious, and, and I was a little bit skeptical. I wasn't sure whether I was ready to do all that work, um, and then lockdown hit. Um, you know, and before that, Sean had been setting himself a daily meditation of drawing a building a day, and that intensified over the lockdown period, and, um, and his Instagram posts became quite famous and he eventually twisted my rubber arm and said, come on, let's do this together. So we, we worked on, on ordering the buildings um, in a narrative that um, made sense beyond the uh, chronolo- uh, chronological. So we wanted to make sure that the drawings themselves provided a guide to what made architecture in South Africa so wonderful and, and so unique. So it, it's a guide that starts with the earliest remaining examples of architecture in South Africa, so you, you know, by that it's it's limited. Um, so you know, if you look at the impact of colonialism on South Africa, it means that that virtually nothing survives uh, before um, the early 17th century, um, and it goes right up to date. So it goes right into 2020. Um, and what Sean and I have done is we've provided a, a chapter introduction. So we've we've grouped um, the the buildings into chapters that speak to particular periods. And we try to give um, an economic and a social and a political context to each one of those periods that help the reader understand the architecture better and, and, and hopefully appreciate uh, the architecture better. Um, and it's a very beautiful book. So, you know, Sean's drawings uh, are monochrome, so they are pencil um, and ink. And uh, we worked with a wonderful designer who um, has worked on a number of Tushin's art books um, so it's very visually appealing. So you, know, you could you could uh, appreciate it just for its visual impact, but we hope that many readers will enjoy um, our perspectives on the architecture of South Africa too. Now, what has been the the reception of the book to to the audience? Now that you've I mean you've had a few public engagements, you've uh, had a few discussions. Have have people said, oh, you know, 
didn't know that building or I was always wondering about it or uh, what, how have people reacted uh, to, to finding out more about the, the city in which they live? Yeah, you know, the reaction has been really positive. And what I've, I've enjoyed is, you know, people who've experienced cities, you know, as people who've lived there or worked there, and, and, but they didn't really understand the buildings or the stories behind the buildings. And paging through it, they'd, they'd come across something that's familiar to them, and, and then they'd be led down a rabbit hole exploring the same architecture in other buildings um, or exploring architectural firms and the impact of those architectural firms. So, so we've had some really wonderful conversation. We had a book launch at the Rand Club, and there were some really fascinating conversations. We had to, we had to cut them short. There, there, <laughs> there were so many threads of, of, um, of thought that, that, that came up there. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 re, the response has been really positive, which we've appreciated. Now, one of the ways in which you guys at the Heritage Foundation have tried to uh, engage outside of things like the book and get people to actually think about the buildings that are in the city is through the Blue Plaque Project. Uh, these are, if you if you look carefully on maybe some of our older buildings in Johannesburg, you'll see it's like a, a, a big round blue uh, sign on, on the building, which kind of explains the history. T- tell us about the genesis of the project and, and, and how it works in general. So the, the Blue Plaque Project was, was started by uh, Flo Bird and the Parktown and West of Heritage uh, Trust um, in the 1980s, in fact. So, you know, the first Blue Plaques uh, went up then. And, and, and really, they, they were limited to the, um, you know, the, ge- the, the geography of Parktown and Westcliff and some of those famous houses in those areas. But it has expanded dramatically since then. So Kathy Monroe, Prof. Kathy Monroe leads our Blue Plaque Committee. Uh, we've got some uh, researchers uh, who work on uh, researching the, the buildings and places that we plot. Uh, we take nominations from the public, and you can nominate them on our website. And there's some really vigorous debate about what 80 words we're going to get onto that blog, because you can, you, know, you can only get up to about 80 words. So we have to be very careful about what we include and what we exclude from the plaques itself. The, the program is extended far and wide, so it goes. We've got a number of plaques up in Soweto. Uh, we've got plaques up um, in the, 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 the western uh, areas and western suburbs of Joburg. Uh, we've recently uh, given a blue plaque, a waterfall to the Orange Grove waterfall um, in, in Upper Houghton. And um, there are a number of new plaques that are coming up. So we, we award approximately 20 to 30 plaques a year. And there are over 300 all over the city. Talking to Brett McDougall today from the Joburg Heritage Foundation. If you want to be part of the conversation, SMS us 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. Now, Brett, I was actually going to come to the waterfall, so I'm glad that you that you mentioned. I think most Joburgers uh, would be surprised to know that there is a, a sort of secret waterfall in their, in their backyards. That uh, has kind of an interesting, interesting history about it. So let's talk about the Orange Grove waterfall for a little bit. Tell us about some of its history and where actually is it located? So the location is uh, very close to the intersection of Houghton Drive um, and Louis Boita Avenue. So there's a property on that corner which is used by the police reservists. Um, it's uh, it's a white gabled uh, Cape Dutch building uh, called House Blaylock, um, and the waterfall is in the corner of that property. And, and the waterfall is perennial, so it flows uh, year-round. Of course, in, in summer, it gushes more profusely. 
and its origin is under the the ridge, the Mountain View um, Houghton Ridge. And the water percolates through that ridge and then it eventually gushes out just north of Louis Water Avenue. And it's it's a really important not only natural feature, and I mean you've you, you've mentioned the fact that there not a huge number of waterfalls in Johannesburg, and you know Joburg being as high as it is, doesn't have abundant sources of water, so water is really important to us and to our history. But because of that, too, um, the the waterfall itself uh, played a pivotal role in the development of its neighborhood. So um, it it, uh, was the the source of the water that that, uh, watered the the Lamun class, the orange farm that, that was farmed in that area prior to, to the uh, British arrival um, on the Rand, um, it uh, became a pleasure resort. So, you know, there was a pool below the, the waterfall and Joburgers used to come out and picnic there and swim in the pool. Um, and there was a bit of a zoo at one stage in the 1890s and Professor Price had hot air balloon rides uh, from there. And some of them were pretty frightening and, and involved a poor hapless baboon who, who went on a whole lot of hot air balloon rides. Um, and then beyond that, um, the Orange Grove Hotel developed very close to that. And in fact, the Orange Grove Hotel initially owned the land uh, on which the, the, the waterfall um, was, uh, was situated. Um, and, and later that, that was sold off. But I'm sure many Joburgers fondly remember the Orange Grove Hotel um, and the beer garden that, that was there and, and the wonderful... Uh, wonderful dancing that took place there. There were a lot of live bands there from the from the 1930s onwards, right into the 1960s, and then unfortunately it was demolished in the 1970s. And and uh, the the Houghton Office Park now occupies the site um, of the Orange Grove Hotel. But there's a really really rich history to that area, and it still has a unique character and charm. Now, what, what I always find interesting about digging through the history of Johannesburg just from this station's perspective is that Johannesburg is really one of the few, maybe one of the only cities in the world that has at its founding a significant Jewish population. And so when you dig through the, the history of Johannesburg, you, you bump into uh, members of our community interacting with other communities that are sort of coming from all over the world at the same time. Joburg is only, you know, a hundred plus couple of decades old. Uh, and, and so you find these like fascinating stories that really exist very much in the recent past because it's not such an old city. And yet a lot of that has been forgotten. It's an absolutely fascinating place. And, and the architecture plays a huge role in bringing some of those stories to life. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So, um, you know, the the Jewish population of Joburg was there right from the start. Um, and, and Joburg's always had a very unique character um, as a result of the contributions of of the, the Jewish population. And, of course, you speak about architecture. So, there, you know, there were a lot of Jewish people who, who commissioned great architecture in Johannesburg. But, of course, there were also some wonderful Jewish architects and now, I think of Hermann Kallebach, who came from, um, you know, the area of, of present-day Lithuania and, um, you know, the, the magnificent buildings that he built um, in Johannesburg. Um, and then later on, if you think about, uh, you know, Sidney Abramovich um, and, and uh, many other architects who succeeded him, um, you know, they've left a, a unique physical contribution 
uh, to the city itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm also thinking about uh, this this one fascinating building in right in the center of uh, in, 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 in towards towards the town area, which was which was Turkish inspired uh, by by a, a man who who was the the consul. He was he was the Turkish consul for the the, the Transvaal, uh, and he created the sort of mock Turkish uh, embassy type feel uh, for for his building. And he was a bit of a landlord, and uh, and and it just is, is some fascinating characters in early Johannesburg uh, that that sort of came to find this place because it was outside of the norm of the empire and and the the sort of standard victorian era times in which it was in which it was built yeah absolutely uh, you, you're speaking of betelheim betelheim that's right um, yes yeah, he, he was the he was the turkish consul in johannesburg and, you know that the, the remains of that house are still there they're part of a they're part of a, a chop shop <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy who runs a an automotive repair shop over there. But if you kind of dig into that building, you see, still see those beautiful stained glass windows and, and there are reminders of the original dwelling. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, it Joburg was was unique in, in, in the amount of money that poured into it in such a short period of time because of the gold fields. And, and that wealth attracted people from all over the world. So it was uniquely cosmopolitan right from the start. And yeah, I just don't think that there's anything anywhere else like it um, in South Africa and very few places in the world. Now, how do you feel Joburg has done in the last couple of years? I mean, you, there's this question about, since particularly since COVID, of semigration, people being able to work wherever they want, and so maybe people prefer Cape Town. And uh, you know, the, the city. The thing about Joburg was. As much as the physical environment was interesting, it's really about the people and the culture, and that's been very difficult to do the last two years, uh, three years, and and of course we've had issues with administration and the the, the sort of problems that South Africa has had in, in general. Uh, how do you think that that's impacted the city and particularly the kind of work that you guys do? Yeah, I I am personally worried about the future of Johannesburg because I think that there's been a loss of vitality. Over the last couple of years, and Benji, I think you're absolutely right. Joburg has always been around the people, and you know, the fascinating people who who do extraordinary things um, in the city. And unfortunately, it's really, really difficult to get them done if you have a city administration that continuously works against you or or doesn't get the basics right. So, you know, I think as citizens of Joburg, we have a right to expect more from our city's administration, and I just think they're getting a lot wrong at the moment um, and and that really does concern me because you know people who have talent and people who have money will simply move elsewhere and and i think that the city is going to be poorer for it yeah, absolutely i think that that is a a big concern now let's talk about stuff that's happening in the dead center of joburg uh, that is to say uh, your your cemetery restoration project and and the work that you do around cemeteries because they have also, as much as the buildings, a, a fascinating history to, to tell about, uh, about the people and past of Joburg. Yes, our Friends of Johannesburg Cemeteries group um, is led by Sarah Wellen. Um, and Sarah's always been fascinated by cemeteries. And, and even before she started the group, she did a lot of research into the cemeteries of Johannesburg. And she's done amazing work over the last couple of years. She's inspired people to join this group of hers they have regular outings to Bramfontein and Brixton cemeteries, you know, so the, 
the oldest uh, cemeteries in the city, um, and they clean graves, they restore graves, they've spent a huge amount of money restoring some historic gravestones, they conduct tours there too. Um, so it's a, really important, the work that they're doing, and I think the results are becoming uh, visible, particularly in Bramfontein Cemetery. And talk to us about tours, because it is something that you, you guys do, and uh, people, members of the public are allowed to come along. So what are the kinds of tours that you do, and what are the sort of popular popular attractions that people can expect if they come on a Joburg Heritage Tour? Yeah, so we, we, we do a number of tours. So some of them are house tours. We explore famous historic homes. Recently, we had a members-only tour of Delobrin, that very um, uh, eclectic Victorian building that's at the corner of Oxford Road, uh, right at the top of Oxford Road as you come into Parktown. And I'm sure many Joburgs will recognize that. Uh, we explore a number of other historic mansions um, all over the city. Sometimes we piece them all together and we'll do a neighborhood tour. So we'll explore a particular pocket of the city and go into some of the houses, but it's really around neighborhood history. And we do a number of tours in the inner city of Johannesburg. Sometimes, again, we explore um, um, the, the interiors of buildings themselves. And sometimes the, the, you know, the geography is, is more far-reaching than that. And more recently, we've also been exploring Johannesburg's natural heritage. So you know, the Orange Grove waterfall is, is, is part of that. And we've done a number of tours to the waterfall and, and spoken about the history of the waterfall and also spoken about the work that we're doing in restoring and maintaining it. And then David Fleminger has led some wonderful tours of the Lingsfield Ridge um, and the Harvey Nature Reserve, which is really an undiscovered gem um, in the city itself. Yeah, so those are, are, are some great tours. And, 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 and Brett, I mean, you're very involved in efforts to clean up, clean up the city, keep our sort of suburbs interesting and vibrant. You're very involved with Norwood and, and our parks, uh, as you say, the, 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 the waterfall. Uh, how is that going and, uh, and how can people get involved with that element of it if, they, if they're keen on finding ways to keep their, their, their neighborhoods clean and, uh, and in functional? Well, first of all, I'd encourage everybody to make a contribution because the contribution can be really, really small. It could be as little as 20 rand a month um, as, as far as a, as a financial contribution goes, um, or it could be um, your, your services and your labor. Um, and residents associations across Johannesburg arrange regular cleanups of their neighborhoods. And it's a couple of hours. You get to meet a couple of your neighbors. It's really not that difficult. Um, and, and the results are, are appreciated by, by everybody who lives there. So uh, the first thing I'd say is don't hesitate. Please get involved. From a, from a Jobic Heritage perspective, we, we encourage people to, to become members of the Heritage Foundation. And you can find all the details on our website, uh, jobicheritage.org.za. And then residence associations each have their own websites and Facebook pages. Again, I'd, I'd recommend that people just contact those. Um, and find out what's going on and, and volunteer and, and, and donate. So uh, just give us those details then, Brett. First of all, the book, how much is it? Where can we get it? Uh, and yeah, the, the, the book details. And then if you want to be part of the, the Joburg Heritage Foundation, how, how do you go about doing it? Okay, so uh, my recommendation for the book is to find it on our website, which is blankinkdesign.com. Um, and the price is 850 Rand. If you don't feel like shopping on a website in Joburg, you can find it at the Atelier at 44 Stanley Avenue. 
And you can also find copies at Love Books in Melville in the Bamboo Centre. And then in terms of Joburg Heritage Foundation, I'd really recommend just finding us on our website, which is joburgheritage.org.za. Right, well, there you go. Uh, Brett McDougall from the Joburg Heritage Foundation talking to us about architecture and the, the history of Johannesburg and his great new book, uh, RSA 365, uh, which is an architectural uh, history and a really visual uh, amazing uh, a book about the architectural history and uh, context of, of buildings in South Africa. Great, uh, great coffee table book and uh, a great book for anyone who is interested in the history of Joburg. Brett, thank you so much for joining us on FM and keep up the good work. Fantastic. Great being here. Thanks so much, Benji. There we go. Brett McDougall from the Johannesburg Heritage Foundation. I'm Benji Shulman and this is 101.9 FM.